0: Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism, including the Dao Te Ching, to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co host, executive coach David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian.
1: Good Are you, to see you. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, I'm doing doing pretty pretty well. We it's it's March here, like everywhere else, but we're we're still having this huge, icy, wintry storm last night. That everything's kind of coated in this crunchy ice, and it looks it looks beautiful outside. But there's some some dangerous roads, I imagine. How, I how about you? How's things in in your location?
1: Uh... These two days, nice and sunny, uh, my wife and I went to the nearby gardens, the Lou gardens mm. with a lot of, uh, you know, uh, blo- you know, bloom, blo- blooming going on right now. Yeah. Mm. Especially the, something called, uh, the, uh, yellow, golden trumpet tree, it's oh. from Brazil. It's just magnificent.
0: Yeah, I've seen those. Um, I was down in the Pantanal area one time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a huge number of jaguars in, in that area. And while that part of Brazil, it's a lot of farm land, those golden trumpet trees are pretty common in the time of year that I was there. They were in full bloom. And so there were some just amazing places where you'd be on the river and there would be like a hawk up in one of those trees with the beautiful flowers and you could get some nice photos with these beautiful majestic birds Mm -hmm. with the golden blossoms behind them
1: wow i mean just hearing about here here you're describing it is uh it's really like spectacular Mm. yeah yesterday when i was like uh doing the, uh, you know, when I was taking pictures under the tree, you know, I overheard a mom and a daughter like sitting on a chair uh, next to the tree. And uh, the daughter said, oh, mom, we can just sit here for the rest of the day. You know, I thought, oh, that's a, beautiful statements, you know, especially considering, yeah. you know, what's going on in the world, you know, like, uh, such a contrast between the beauty and, and, and and peace, peacefulness that you feel when you look at nature, and also, you know, what's going on in, you know, in the, you know, part of uh, Ukraine, and in the media, too.
0: Yeah, that contrast of, of Dow, how Simultaneously, it's expressing just this peace and, and beauty and, and protected feeling where this daughter wanted to just stay in this protective, beautiful realm with her mother. Yeah. And simultaneously, in another part of the earth, Tao is manifesting just this horrible conflict, which is actually what our discussion today is is going to be about.
1: Yeah. So let's go, uh, go for it.
0: So the the first thing I want to just maybe explore a little bit of the origins of conflict. One, one thing I'm going to get into Lao view on where conflict comes from, but maybe just if you would want to start off talking about, I know you have a lot of ex- experience dealing mm-hmm. with differences and and your experience? What were your views on where conflict comes from? What are the what are the origins of conflict?
1: Well, the interesting thing is uh, it comes from you know different sources, I would say, uh, which also lead to you know varying de- degrees of conflict. Uh, you know, at least in a corporate setting that I, I've been uh, working in. Um, You know, as a consultant, you know, usually my understanding of my role over these years is to, you know, solve problems, you know, for corporate clients. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I also came to realize that at the core of that problem solving is really about conflict management, and conflict, Mm -hmm. you know, defined in a larger sense. Um, Because, you know, business itself, uh, the lo- business and the logic is straightforward. It's simple, you know. It's, you know, uh, revenue and cost and profit, right? The the kind of the account- accounting stuff. Mm-hmm. What really makes the business extremely extremely, compl- you know, complex and complicated is the people involved. You know, whether people you know like external to the company, like clients and suppliers and. Partners and competitors. and inside, of course, you know there are people working for the business. so all those things lead to um, you know lead to problems and conflicts,
0: yeah, so there's something inherent about the human condition that leads to conflicts arising that if if we were only looking at life logically, mm-hmm everyone would just be kind of like robots looking at the numbers here's how this organization is arranged top to bottom here's the the profit here's the loss etc right. and conflict would would be minimal or or maybe even non-existent but people are not robots and people do not look at things from a strictly logical Perspective, and so the human heart in an, in an, in itself contains the seeds of conflict.
1: Exactly, exactly. I think, especially when conflicts uh, are involved, you see the emotions. You know, um, I think that emotional com- component part sometimes you know makes conflict management even harder.
0: Hmm. And so people's emotions, um, that's sort of where, where this conflict expresses itself. It expresses itself in emotions.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, in general, uh, in the companies I work with, uh, first of all, people try to uh, avoid conflicts. You see like managers, sometimes they are not happy with the performance of their, you know, subordinates. They, a lot of times, you know, some are more, you know, some are direct and just bring up the issues. But many I work with, they kind of remain silent, but the, the, the dissatisfaction, the conflicts are there. So we, we, we kind of categorize that as a co- kind of cold conflicts. And then you know suddenly things erupt, uh, turning to a you know an arguments and very emotional. Those are kind of the uh, the hot conflicts. You know I think more and more companies are realizing that you know maybe there's something in between the cold and hot, which is warm, because that warm conflicts will help you know surface the the, the issues. And, uh, you know, people are, you know, from different viewpoints can start looking at them and maybe, uh, you know, they can find some common grounds or find some processes to help resolve those conflicts and which, if they can do that successfully, if, uh, you know, they can end up, you know, having, you know, more stronger relationships and maybe, you know, coming with more robust solutions.
0: It makes me think of there's a a psychological instrument in industrial organizational psychology called the Thomas Klein. Yes. Um, yes. Assessment. Have you used that one? Yeah. A lot?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Of course. We use those with different teams and then, you know, identify their, uh, you know, conflict management or conflict resolution styles. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's the, so I, I know that the kind of, when you're talking about the cold and hot, on the, on the hot side would be competitive when people kind of hunker down into their own position and just kind of go to war with each other. Yeah. The cold side is avoiding that you were talking about, like people just kind of like... Passive-aggressive yep. behaviors. Passive-aggressive yeah. or just, yeah, the, the silent treatment, whatever. And then in the middle, there's collab- collaboration, which is obviously kind of the ideal area and also compromising, Pe- people collaborating, but also compromising in and, and the middle. Why, why do you think it's so hard sometimes for people to stay in that warm area?
1: Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think number one is, um, you know, people I think, first of all, I think people—the natural response of uh, fight or flight, like mm. fight, like avoiding, mm-hmm. fight, like the hot conflicts—I
0: mm-hmm.
1: think it's easier to do.
0: Mm-hmm. We're wired. We're wired to either mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get aggressive yeah. or or run away. That when we feel threatened our nervous systems actually push us toward those two poles, either battle or runaway. Yeah,
1: yeah. So in other words, you know, managing warm conflicts in that warm zone requires effort, requires it's a it's a learned behavior in a way. Mm. Uh, if you can do it well, you can, you know, create a lot of benefits. In fact, I think in this arena and I do the leadership coaching. You know, we're trying to um, share the kind of view that you know, conflict itself is neither good or bad. It's just natural. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when there are differences, it's how you actually you manage it. Uh, you know, in a way that is productive. You know, to the parties involved. Or you know, and also beneficial to the overall organization.
0: So, and and this is where it, it makes sense then that it it's really critical then that the environment support and and induce this way this learned behavior, and without the support of the the leaders of the organization, so that people understand, hey, you know conflict is okay but but that's that let's use these methods or, or ways the, the things that I'm guessing you you try to help leaders understand to stay in this warm area.
1: Yeah yeah I think that's that's a good point you're making. I think the role modeling of leaders is extremely important because a lot of times uh, you can see that conflicts start from the very top from the you know big guys, the people who hold the power. When they disagree they're, uh, you know with each other or they are not aligned with each other for whatever reasons, those conflicts you know can cascade all the way down through the organization. Um, you know I, I think that's the in the corporate in a corporate setting, you know maybe uh, you know a, a, a analogy or a comparison, is we is with uh, the world today, I think uh, on this planet, the major powers they uh, you know just because of their their influence, they have a greater responsibility to work with each other. If they don't, that conflicts will cascade all the way down to you know medium-sized countries or in smaller countries, they can become like mm-hmm. collateral damage. You know, to the big conflicts among the major powers.
0: Yeah, so I I want to, you know, that's that that shift toward that um, situation, with the with the larger countries, and so obviously in the world today, the major powers in the world that's first just divided into east and west. So and and the. In the East, we have Russia and China are the dominant players.
1: First. Is Russia considered to be East or West?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Russia is definitely considered more aligned with with the East, right? Like Russia and China have a much stronger alliance with each uh-huh. other. Uh-huh. So when we're when we're looking at at Ukraine, we have Russia's interest versus the interests of the West. So that's the the West being considered the european alliance and the european alliance with the u.s i mean clearly the russia is not included in nato russia is not included in the european union Mm -hmm. i mean so we're 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 talking about all those organizations as kind of western interests and Mm -hmm. russia is excluded from that they don't get to participate in that Mm -hmm. china is not part of that and then obviously just the proximity i mean russia and, and and china geographically their their proximity their their interests are more uh in sync with each other versus
1: mm-hmm.
0: these western interests so mm-hmm. if we look at russia and, and china as as being the big players in that eastern sphere and then the western powers we can just i think we can talk about the the united states and then also the european union mm-hmm. as an and entity, and so those are the players with a lot more responsibility. Mm-hmm. How do you explain what's happening right now? Why is there so much conflict happening in
1: Ukraine? Um, it seems like the uh, Russia has a, a notion of the you know the empire they used to have. So that kind of a ter- 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 territorial uh, ambition, coupled with the personal ambition of yeah. its leader, uh, kind of lead to a plan or, you know, to do something to correct the imbalance yeah. so that the leader and the uh, Let's say the elites, because uh, it's hard to say, you know, the Russian people uh, in general. Mm-hmm. sure, but at least the the people in power, they feel like threatened by the Eastern kind of the expansion of NATO. so they they want to, and especially given that Ukraine, uh, the new leadership. I think the older presidents may be like more pro Russia, but now the leader, new leadership, very overtly, you know, trying to um, side with NATO and be part of that. I, I think that is threatening, felt threatening to um, uh, Putin and you know that group. That's how yeah. I, I, I see the situation
0: yeah, so I think that's that's critical. the the piece that you're talking about, where Putin felt threatened by things that were happening, largely happening diplomatically, but the writing was kind of on the wall that you know if if Ukraine aligned with the European Union, and it looked like that's the way that things were going. If they joined the European, Union. Inevitably, they would probably join NATO, and now all of a sudden, you have a territory that used to belong to the Soviet Union is now, you know, part of that Western
1: uh, alliance. Yeah, it's uh, like metaphorically, it's almost like a, a dagger into your heart, like it close mm-hmm. to you, like you put mm-hmm. something like in, in front of your door you know uh, from Mm -hmm. a territorial perspective
0: yeah it's it's i think that's a great way of, of putting it it's like you don't have a front yard anymore you basically now have this encampment literally on your front porch and you know that that these forces are really they're not going to let up they're going to keep if they get that close, they're going to keep encircling and circling and and surrounding your house until you really can't uh, escape any further.
1: Yeah, and that's no different from, I would say, like let's go back to the corporate setting, the fear that some of the people, you know, including leaders in organizational uh, experienced or mm-hmm. or felt. Uh, yes. When you know there were certain conflicts, because when I work with them, you kind of try to get to the dive into the surface of it. On the surface, there's always the kind of the rationale, like say, "Oh, the business needs to go this way or that way because of this." So there's a lot of PowerPoint presentation going on, a lot of meetings. Just at the informational level, people start to, you know, question each other. Uh, but that sometimes that is like, almost like, a um, what do you, the elephant in the room. Like there, there's the, you, you know, this is the, at the intellectual level down in the beneath it, it could be like a structural kind of, uh, competition or conflicts, meaning like, you know, a certain change will uh, be felt like that change will tilt. The organizational power toward this department or this business division versus the other. The other felt like they're going to be obsolete. You know, they're going to lose control. Uh, you know, in that organization. So mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. a lot of dysfunctioning starts to happen.
0: Yeah, I, I just a kind of a personal experience to draw on. One of the last contracts that I did in my software mm-hmm. career. It was with a healthcare company, um, kind of still a small size company, but owned by a larger company. And they were about five years old. And in the early years, Mm -hmm. the, the, the business part of the organization was used to just kind of dictating directly to the IT department what they needed to make and and because things were new at that time the right. IT department could just kind of go in and quickly put something right. together and put it out there well as time went on there's a lot of complexity that arose within the IT department yeah. so the the IT department's needs changed quite a bit like they they need they had their own needs that arose to manage that complexity but the business still wanted to have this mindset of hey we should just be able to tell the IT department what we want and that should be ready in a couple See, of, of days
1: yeah that's very typical you know that's very typical in a lot of what what they what the companies now are going through many companies are going through the digital transformation you know to implement technology that hopefully will you know make the business serve their customers and their other stakeholders you know more effectively but the problem is a lot of the struggle comes exactly as you said you know the IT department uh usually they they are all in favor make the make things simpler you know through some kind of streamlining or control while the business so in order to do that, the bi- business need to standardize, you know, their own process, which they mm-hmm. don't, because the very standardization is meaning they are, they are perceiving that as a centralization. Mm. I right? meaning mm-hmm. power and discretion and yeah. autonomy is taken away from them. You know, when I did yeah. a, um, uh, you know, a project on global marketing, it's the same thing you know it's a, a us based company uh, you know a pharmaceutical company and they have affiliates all around mm. the world so they mm-hmm. lo- they are going to launch new products and then there's a lot of uh, you know quibbling around the table like the pro like the marketing materials do they you know 80% represent the us and then the rest of the world will just follow and leverage mm. or the rest of the world will, uh, you know, will can create their own thing. Where do you draw mm-hmm. the line in order to mm-hmm. achieve that balance between efficiency and effectiveness?
0: So th- these themes are arising then. And I think this first one, where do you draw the line? And then the other one around competing needs. Competing needs. And then the, and then the other one around this fear of loss of power.
1: And the related to that fear is the, the, the level of trust. Because you can see that a lot of the different organizations they have a history, right? People are have okay. a history and track record with each other. So if mm-hmm. along the way the trust is there, uh, you know conflicts are easier to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, still uncomfortable but easier to uh, resolve. If the trust is not there, you know you see each other as enemies. Just like, you know, the, the, the U.S. and, and the Russia, you see, exactly. you know, you hear like all the saying that, you know, Putin is is evil. I'm not saying like, you know, he's doing something that is right. You
0: know, right, exactly. a lot of
1: bloodshed, but I feel like a lot of the labeling uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, putting, you know, create that situation or amplifying a situation like us versus them, that's, that will escalate conflicts instead of like de-escalate the conflicts.
0: I think it's super important what, what you said. And so in, in psychoanalysis, the modern way of looking at things is rather than trying to start with a theory and then fit everything that your patient or client is saying mm-hmm. within that theory, what's more important is try to get inside the mind of the patient and try to understand what this experience means to them and, and symbolically what it means to them. And so I think if we try to do the same thing with, with Putin, just to understand, you know, I, I know that Western propaganda that I'm reading, which again, like, we're all subject to propaganda just like everyone in the world i mean it's there's the us same propaganda from the other side too you know the, yeah there's the chinese propaganda or... there's we're yeah.
1: also subject to uh propaganda, propaganda. yeah, yeah.
0: We're, we're we're all immersed in propaganda so i think that we we first have to cut, kind of cut through that and be able to recognize what is propaganda and like when you read something that just says like putin is acting like hitler you can and you can pretty much right off the bat say okay this is propaganda because nothing is ever that simple
1: see like different people in that population like uh i think feel differently i think there's also concern mm-hmm. that let's say in the west if people right now let's say republicans or you know mm-hmm. whoever do not say putin is evil then other mm-hmm. there's a fear of that person saying oh maybe other people will see me differently i'm not mm-hmm. on the u.s side That's another layer of fear that people experience.
0: The same thing- Patriotism, nationalism,
1: yeah. Yeah, the same thing in the company. Like, uh, you know, people, a lot of the people, especially at the middle level, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, when they see the conflicts at the top, uh, at first they want to be kind of detached from it and don't Mm -hmm. want to part, They, they, they can see that. But as the conflicts escalate, there's a lot of pressure to force people to take sides if they cannot get out of the system. Let's say if they want to mm-hmm. keep their jobs and you know do things. So that space, mm-hmm. that options people felt also determine their behavior.
0: You got to pick a side.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, at, the, at, at some point, people are yeah.
0: unwilling to pick sides. Yeah, first. they don't want to, they but at some to. point they have to. But
1: at some point they have to, depending on the dynamics of the company.
0: And and so kind of going back to, like, this experience from Putin's mindset, again, like, if he's the person inside the house, and you recognize, like, oh, this used to be my front yard, but now it's actually, like, from his mind, it's like these gangsters have taken over his front yard, and now they're, like, having parties in his front yard at, at night, keeping him up at at night, his front yard is basically being occupied by, you know, his his enemies.
1: Yeah, I cannot. Yeah, I think you must be right because I cannot think of other reasoning than that, just mm-hmm. based on, um, you know. Then some people say, you know, he's crazy. He's already, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's like mental problems. But the reasoning you just articulated, I think, is the is a normal one that applies to all individuals i would say when they feel yeah. threatened
0: exactly and so one thing that i that hasn't been that isn't being talked about and I, I again i can only think about it from like a propaganda lens or maybe there's more to it but i mean it was just this august that the united states pulled all of its troops out of afghanistan and so there is now a huge vacuum in that part of the country, where you know that was another side of Putin's house, right? Like, not only were there forces in his front yard, there was forces in, in his side yard too. You know, the house next to him was full of these gangsters. Well, the gangsters living next door to him, they packed up and left, and now there's just this empty house sitting there it makes sense then why he would choose now as the time to kind of go after the people camped out in his front yard.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, for uh, what, you know, in geopolitics, uh, for strategic, whatever strategic reasons, exactly. The the timing of the conflicts is also what you see, like, say, Mm -hmm. again, using the analogy from the corporate world, you see sometimes during certain kind of a big changes, you know, certain party, they will, um, they they, they will feel like they lose out. So they may be, they may stay quiet for a time. And then Mm -hmm. for another wave of changes to happen, then they may regain. So in other words, what I see there is this kind of a dynamic uh, conflicts, which is Mm -hmm. again, I think is very similar to what I understand as how DAO works, right? When something mm-hmm. goes to you know one extreme to the other, then it mm-hmm. will return. So similarly, you see that despite the preferences, you know, people hate it when they lose out, but then things arise and then certain you know, components of the, mm-hmm. the organizations uh, they gain more power. Mm -hmm. so that what i see also similar in the world when this there is the rising and falling of resources or whatever what you call gen you know maybe Mm -hmm. in general you call power that's Mm -hmm. there
0: yeah and and without necessarily obviously i don't know what's what's going on behind the scenes but when i was talking with um someone from China this week, they made an interesting point, which is that since the Soviet Union collapsed, the U.S. has largely still treated Russia like a- an enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and by treating them like an enemy, that's kind have you know, Russia has maintained, ha- has stayed relatively poor, they haven't been necessarily been given a seat at the table or or treated very welcomingly by the European Union, um, just by, you know, again, Western organizations. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'm sure that within the Russian home, you know, within the mindset of the Russian government... Mm -hmm. Mm that's psychologically difficult you know to think about how he- here's all these countries in russia or all these countries in europe who are cooperating they have freedom to kind of work in each other's countries and work on a left out on, on our own and we're we're not given yeah, you know, a- access to all these, and again, I, I don't know the history there, so I could be. I'm sure there's. It's more complicated yeah. than that. I'm sure yeah. Russia ha- yeah. Russia has contributed their own thing You're, to the situation.
1: You are absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, let's say, China over the last uh, you know fifty years, like since the normalization of the relationship between U.S. and China, mm-hmm. uh, uh, definitely has uh, experienced, uh, di- differently from mm-hmm. Russia while the trajectory, like what, while the journey, uh, right now is turning, maybe turning into a different direction, but at least you can say that China is a beneficiary is a beneficiary of the, all the efforts of integrating the two while Russia mm-hmm. felt, as you said, felt left out or sometimes mm-hmm. like besieged yeah when i
0: mean especially you know i think afghanistan was a great um i mean i think the writing's on the wall right like when u.s occupied that for 20 years and you had a huge military presence there right that it was you could you could see the the walls closing and in a way that you know china wasn't necessarily experiencing the u.s quite quite the same way and so those dynamics are 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 quite different different yes if if we're thinking about um so kind of when 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 laoza is talking about um avoiding contention you have to remove desires from the people's hearts Mm. he 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 kind of says that this leads to to chaos. And I guess my first question is there's desires but then there's also needs. And and so in this situation geopolitically right now how would you dis- dis- differentiate the desires versus the needs and and maybe explain in a way what do you think's real even realistic in in the world stage right now but like let's say that there were sage leaders suddenly in Russia China the US and the European Union how might they navigate this situation differently right now that kind of separates desires and needs and works more in that warm area versus you know obviously we're in a hot
1: area right now? Yeah. 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 That's a great question. Personally, I observe that the whole world system, regardless of East or West, is built on amplifying and satisfying our desires, especially in a materialistic way or oh wow. Way. I love where you're going with this. yeah. so I think for a leader to suggest differently requires a big mindset shift or of the people. lifestyle shift, I think.
0: yeah, of the citizens.
1: yeah, yes. And I think also politically and economically, meaning the government and the businesses, over the years, they forged a interesting symbiotic relationship to do just what I described. That's a very powerful force. And people, including you and me, we've been growing up in this kind of environment with that kind of mind condition to, you know, to not to just meet our needs, I guess, like satisfy mm-hmm. our desires.
0: Yeah, so so that, that's super important that we're all looking at this conflict that's going on and looking at it like there's just, it's something in the news without looking at how the modern lifestyle that isn't just about meeting people's needs. It's really about creating infinite desires in the human heart uh, in the citizens. I mean, this isn't just in the U S now. I mean, China is the exact same way.
1: Yeah. 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 All
0: countries are this way now. It's like, everyone's aspiring to live, you know, the what's marketed as you know the ideal lifestyle, where yeah, y- you have every option at your disposal, you have access to all of the world's goods and luxuries, yeah, and in, in you know a matter of seconds,
1: yeah, it's like a dangling you know carrot, there, right? That mm-hmm. you know, there's a force there dangling over you, and say if you are smart enough, or working hard enough, uh, you're going to get it. I think Mm -hmm. that's the unspoken, kind of a unwritten rule Mm -hmm. in people's, on, on people's mind and heart nowadays.
0: Making everyone believe. Yeah. Trying to make everyone believe that you can become, you can become a billionaire. Yeah. And, and once you're a billionaire, you know, all of your problems are solved and, and and anyone can do it. And and furthermore, this is what everyone should be aspiring to.
1: Yeah, if you and don't, so, then you're a loser. You're a loser. Yeah, and to say, and also the institutions, if you pierce between, you know, uh, kind of the, uh, if you kind of read between the line, let's say universities, right? The, at least at the very beginning, uh, the founders of universities, you know, like I, you know, let's say take Harvard, for example, the motto is like veritas, meaning truth. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it, at least it was trying to understand the, uh, both the divine truths and the spirit, you know, and, and also the, the truth in nature, that was the purpose. But if you look at the universities nowadays, that's not their value proposition mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. value proposition is we're going to you're going to be the passport we're going to, we're the passport to privilege we're the passport to wealth mm-hmm. we're the passport mm-hmm. to status
0: yeah and and either your family is wealthy enough to pay for the passport or you pay a huge chunk of change that you know your earnings later on are are going to pay back so essentially it's kind of like the mob like they're going to they're going to take their cut of the profits, take their blood money, but they're going to give you the protection that you need so that you can enter that realm
1: of. Um, yeah, status. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can if I just on, to be like look around at all the a lot of the human institutions. I'm sure there are still ones who are all you know who are still, you know, trying to uh, you know find a purpose beyond. Uh, our, you know, uh, the, the all the material yeah. things or worldly things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the major ones seem to be all corrupted in some ways. I mm-hmm. mean, not to be, you know, I, I'm just like, even like I would say uh, the churches because yeah. um, some mega churches, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that actually pushed a lot of people uh Away from church, and they can, you know, they look for their own uh, uh, ways to meet their special uh, spiritual needs.
0: Yeah, it's not about veritas anymore, or agape, or agape, how, however you pronounce that. It's 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 really this the same corruption, which is now it's all about human desire and trying to create as much wealth and status through. In any and all these institutions, whether it's the church, whether it's academia, um, the pursuit of values, the pursuit of character, the pursuit of you know nobility—not in the sense of like status, but nobility of like an actual noble heart—that that really is not what we're looking at anymore. And so, to that extent, it seems like Lauts is right. I mean, when he says to avoid contention, the sage should try to remove desires from the people's hearts because it leads to chaos. I mean, let's look at the world. I mean, what are all these places promising? You know, wealth, um, status, you know, a- a- access to partners who are also of, of similar value. I mean, on the the day after Thanksgiving, In some places, the day of Thanksgiving, Black Friday, we supposedly are just having a holiday where we're supposed to be showing gratitude and thanks. And what are people doing? They're trampling over people, pushing each other down, hordes of people rushing through these doors to to rip boxes out of each other's hands. I mean, it's grotesque in a way that people take for granted.
1: Yeah, yeah. so this widespread you know phenomenon i was wondering you know from here where you know where we are going in other words were there were there like sage leaders emerging to uh you know lead by example or maybe not just one single sage leader maybe you know some you know, a couple of them uh, will show people there's an alternative way. Uh, That chance, uh, you know, I'm a little bit, at this moment, I'm a little bit uh, pessimistic about it. I feel like I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any emerging. The leaders we have right now, they may speak the words of it, but you don't feel they are truly embodying a higher and you know, a higher and also a genuine way, you know, what you call the a Tao or heavenly way. Yeah. Um, so what else maybe there are two other, uh, two other trajectory. We haven't felt the pain of the system painful enough. So we'll still have some miles to go. Mm-hmm. And then until the pain is unbearable, uh, then there's like returning, hopefully at mm-hmm. that time we're still surviving, right? We still survive. Mm-hmm. The third way is like a bottom up, maybe related to the, to the sec- second way, like people in their daily life, They're feeling so affected, they cannot expect their leaders to role model and follow. They will just do it on their own, spontaneously, on a massive level. Um, Related to that second uh, possibility, which is, you know, there's a pain forcing them Mm -hmm. to awaken to a new state of mind.
0: Yeah, pain Pain being this economic system has a severe collapse and people are forced just to recalibrate their expectations.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like we had to do with COVID on some level, yeah, but we're yeah. talking about a whole nother level of recalibration. Right,
1: recalibration. And also it's not a, I think in the past, at, at least I think I feel like in my generation, there's too much of a adapting. So in other words, you grumble about it you complain about it but then you know the next day you go and start and 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 continue to cooperate you with, with the big machine in order to mm-hmm. oh yeah keep up your 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 lifestyles or or right maintain mm-hmm. your status yeah maybe and that's what everybody else has done yeah yeah exactly maybe there's more uh given the the worsening of the situation, maybe uh, there are other more radical behaviors. Uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like that the Gen Z, uh, Uh you know, like for example, in China, they are much more confident and straightforward and uh, Uh speak their mind Uh than the previous, you know, groups, Uh age groups. You know, that may be a sign just like evolutionarily that is the style that is needed mm-hmm. uh to break away from the dysfunctioning system right now
0: yeah but maybe maybe sage leaders aren't going to arise from you know the, the baby boomer generation um probably certainly not from the baby boomer generation because we've seen what kind of leaders have come out of that generation uh and I think Gen X still has uh, potential that some sage leaders could arise out of that. But but if not, then maybe you know, sage gen-
1: leaders come from the Gen Z because maybe from uh, Gen Z. Uh, you know, as uh, Lao Tzu said, "Look at the baby." Right, baby mm-hmm. represents more of a Tao than mm-hmm. you know, exactly. an old wise man, so called yes. old wise wise yes. man.
0: Yes, and and I'm also optimistic. I know a lot of people are really skeptical and negative about like the metaverse or virtual reality and augmented reality. But if you think about it, one of the things that it does offer is that in the virtual world, resources are infinite and they are unlimited and they don't have any impact on earth other than the the energy that's required to support these computer networks which you know is significant it's I'm not saying it's insignificant but inside of it when we're talking about human desires what if within the metaverse what if the metaverse actually becomes the cure to balance out this infinite desires that currently has been positioned within the real world that requires real textiles, real food consumption, real everything. But when you go into the metaverse, you can kind of live in this fantasy world and kind of get, try to get those desires met in a way that you just don't have, Act people just don't have access to them in, in the real world. And so what if satisfying desires within the metaverse is sort of this middle ground where you know, it, it's not realistic at this point to to take all the desires out of people's hearts. I mean, that Pandora's box has been opened. Yes. But what if it can get satisfied in a way through the metaverse to where the impact in the external world is no longer as large?
1: That's a very interesting thought. That could be another trajectory where uh, we are going. Uh, that actually reminds me of some of the, uh, you know, uh, works from the ancient Greece from Socrates and Plato sure. uh, because I think um, you know in their thought, um, our physical body uh, is almost like a, a baggage and there's also discussion around desire sure. how do you transform a erotic physical desire like okay. a flesh kind of desire okay. uh, like falling into falling in uh, in, in uh, falling in love with somebody who were beautiful, right? Those things, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of discussion in the Plato dialogues regarding how you can transform that into a love for the beauty, for the lo- for the, for the form of beauty. And ultimately mm-hmm. the, uh, the, 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 goodness, the, the world that is not, uh, sensor, sen- uh, sensory kind mm-hmm. of world mm-hmm. more of an eternal world um so that kind of discussion throughout history among philosophers and i think still there's a lot of disagreement between let's say uh is desire a good thing and a bad thing from the philosophy of of ancient greece i feel like it can be used because desire is a part of a living thing
0: right yes the thing
1: is. is is how do you not only and also you you know like even like a buddha end up in finding in a middle ground you know mm-hmm. he didn't go the into an extreme and like say really totally like get rid of the desire mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but he didn't go you know the other direction which is like that you're craving so find the middle yeah. road so maybe that middle road that you're describing about the future is well we cannot ask dictate or ask people to abandon their worldly desires, but mm-hmm. we know that psychologically, certain desires are actually more psychological, like eating, yep. like something. Yep. So mm-hmm. maybe they're like experiences created in that metaverse, uh, like, uh, y- you know, that can satisfy that psychologically, mm-hmm. and we we start to diminish the physical demands on the Earth, Mother Earth.
0: Yeah. I think it makes sense and i I think it it could very well happen that way i mean from a psychoanalytic term we sublimate our desires then in this metaverse where we we talk about sublimation as being the highest form of dealing with our anxieties and it seems like the metaverse could be on on a global societal way a way of reducing some of this conflict and and impact on on the world
1: yeah yeah well that that if that happens, um, you know that is a interesting evolution of the mm-hmm. Tao, right? Of the
0: universe. Yeah.
1: Tao from the very beginning, uh, you know, very as Lao described in a very, uh, you know, primitive kind of simple way, like a, a block of a, like a like a wood, right? But all the way at a very higher and sophisticated level, that re- it kind of returns. To mm-hmm. simplicity, but not mm-hmm. a simplicity at the very begin like the at the very beginning, but a simplicity through all these going through all the complexities of human civilizations that's a returning sure. that's finding well, our way home
0: it it gives me a feeling of, of optimism that there's still a way forward for Civilization. Yeah.
1: Well, we talked about conflicts that suddenly, you know, again, you know, this conversation is not what we plan for, but evolve. And I feel, you know, uh, I, I have a similar sense of optimism too when you think about how we can get, get beyond the painful stage right now.
0: Well, thanks for all of your insights today, David. It was another great discussion with you and and also want to thank our listeners for joining us and for writing in and and sharing your feedback with us. You can always go to walkingthetimelessway.com to send us any messages that you have. We will do our best to reply in a in a timely manner. We want to hear from you listeners as well. We want you to be part of of our discussion, and by reaching out to us, you also influence and impact the way that we approach our podcast. So keep, keep writing those letters. And until next time, thanks for walking the timeless way with us.